Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. This should be a familiar passage as we've walked through this study over the last several months. When I was a kid and it came time for us to take a trip, a vacation, my dad would get out all the maps. If we were going through several states, he'd get out the map of Texas and the map of New Mexico and the map of Colorado. We'd open them all up and we'd, we'd plot our course on those maps. And I usually got to be the navigator when I got old enough, and I'd open those maps up and guide them. We don't do that anymore. We plug it into our GPS or our smartphone or whatever to tell us where to go. But it's important, whatever trip you're taking, to chart the course out ahead of time. So that's what we want to do today. We've been challenging the congregation for the last several months about what it means to be a disciple-making church. And today we're going to enter into that, that uh, mapping, that laying out the course for us to be on the disciples' journey Matthew chapter 28, as Jesus shares with us, shares with his disciples and with us. In verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. We've looked at this and focused on that phrase, make disciples, and what does that mean? And we've tried to unpack that over the weeks. So we're going to talk about what it means for us today as a congregation, as Coastal Oaks Church enters into this time of intentional disciple making. So if you would, we're going to look at our, our first truth. We've, we've shaped our mission statement here at Coastal Oaks around two passages of Scripture, basically three passages. And I want us to look at the first one as we look at our commitment to follow the great commandment. Number one, we're to follow the great commandment. Turn back to chapter 22 in the book of Matthew and listen to what Jesus told those who questioned him. Some religious leaders came to him and they were trying to trick him. They thought, let's ask him to tell us what the greatest commandment is and he won't be able to pick one. So let's ask him. The Bible says they came to him and said, teacher, which is in the law is the greatest? Which command in the law is the greatest? Look at verse 37. He said to them, to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Jesus was able to take, when he says law and prophets, he's talking about the Old Testament. All of the scriptures that had been written up to that time, the Old Testament scriptures, Jesus says it can all be summed up, it can all be summarized in this statement right here. And he begins by saying, you're to love the Lord your God. I like that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That, that speaks of having a love relationship with God. Now we, on this side of the cross, know that that love relationship with God is only through the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, in the Old Testament, they look forward to the cross. Now in the New Testament, we look back at the cross. The cross has always been the only way of salvation. But it, it, is, the, it is the expression, it is the demonstration of God's love. Romans says God demonstrated his love for us in this. Romans 5, God demonstrated his love in, in, for us in this way. While we were still sinners, can you finish it? Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love for us 
that he died for us in the person of Christ. God demonstrating his love. And then what does he require of us? He says, since I have given my love to you, I want you to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Some have tried to give this analogy of God giving us this sheet of paper with with all of these demands of our life and we're to look it over and we're to pray about it and say, okay, God, I'm gonna sign on the dotted line. I I will do what you ask in this list. But that's not what lordship is. Lordship is, is God handing us a blank sheet of paper and saying, sign it, and then give it back. Basically, that says, God, I don't know what you're going to put on that sheet of paper. I don't know what your requirement is of my life, but for me to give my life to you, for me to say, Lord Jesus, be Lord of my life, I need to sign that blank sheet of paper, hand it to you, and say, God, whatever you say, I'll obey. That's lordship. That's loving the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's what we're called to do. That's the part of the great commandment. The second part of the great commandment is just in the next verse there, verse 39. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. They asked Jesus who his, na- who the na- his neighbor was, who our neighbor is. Basically, anyone in need. Not just the person next door, but anyone you see in need. That is your neighbor, and you're to love them. Again, we're to love the Lord with all our heart, and we're to love our neighbor as ourself. Part of love. We'll talk a little bit more about how we in, at Coastal Oaks Church connect with one another, but it's to be a loving relationship that we have with other people. It's about others. I love the story. General William Booth, who founded the Salvation Army in the early 1900s, his health was failing and he couldn't make it to one of their worldwide conferences. So it was like 1910 and, and uh, they, they asked him, would you send a telegram to the delegation so we can just at least read your words of encouragement since you can't be there? So he thought about it and prayed about it and and uh, made a very wise decision as far as stewardship goes, and he sent them a telegram. And the moderator of the convention, with all these people in the Salvation Army who were challenged to reach the world for Christ, they stood up and he opened the, the moderator opened the telegram and read it. One word, others. Pretty good. That, that founder of that army, literally an army of people devoted to the Great Commission, he said the most important thing you need to remember is to put others first. We try to do that here. We follow the great commandment. But secondly, as we think about our calling, we also fulfill the great commission. So number two, if you're taking notes, number two, fulfill the great commission. Again, in chapter 28, which is the the one part of the great commission we focused on, go make disciples. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. We're to make disciples. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we've used that as our... um, our model for reaching the world for Christ here. Acts chapter one, verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Witnesses, you will be my witnesses. So we are to make disciples, we are to be witnesses. So the great, the great commandment, love the Lord with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself, the great commission, go reach the lost for Christ and make them into disciples. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he tells them, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world, and he says salt is, is not made to, to not be effective, it needs to be out there making an impact. I love the story D. James Kennedy shares. He tells a story about a mom and pop grocery store, and one day a customer comes in and asks the pop of the grocery store, hey pop, you sell salt. He says, do we sell salt? Come here, let me show you this. And he shows him racks against a wall. There's Morton salt and iodized salt and 
sea salt and kosher salt and seasoned salt and Epsom salt. He said, do we sell salt? And the guy says, yeah, do you, do you sell salt? He said, come here, let me show you this. He takes him to another part of the store, a back room, and he opens it up, and there, there are cartons and cartons and cartons of salt, all kinds of salt, just filling this room up. And the guy says, do you sell salt? He says, come here, let me show you something. Goes downstairs to the basement and opens up another room, and it is full to the rafters of different bags, huge bags of salt, and even the big the, the deals of the cows lick, the big salt licks for the cows. And he says, look at this. And so the guy says, wow, it's incredible. You really do sell salt. Pop says, nope. But let me tell you, that salt salesman, he really does. Some of you will get that later. See, salt sitting on the shelf doesn't do any good. Filling up a salt shaker with salt doesn't do any good. Have you ever been in a restaurant, and if you live in South Texas, you have, and you, you reach for the salt shaker, and you go like this, and you know it's full of salt, and what happens? Nothing. It just stays in there, and it's because of our wonderful humidity, even when they put the rice in there. Does that work? Sometimes it works. Okay. Spoken by somebody who's probably done that. That salt is made to come out of the salt shaker. Do you see the, the picture here? Jesus didn't say, fill the church up with salt, people. Get out of the church. Get out of the salt shaker. That's what we're called to do. That's what the Great Commission is. Not just to come together and have a holy huddle and love us for and no more, but to get out there and impact the community for Christ, fulfilling the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. Now, I want us to look at our mission statement based on the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. We just put this graphic up there and just walk you through. If you've been here any amount of time, you can, you can track with us on this. Let's just look at this graphic. Here's our mission statement. Number one, based on the Great Commandment, we are to love God. That means to have a love relationship with him. That means to come to know him by faith through Jesus Christ and worship him. Then number two in our mission statement, coming from the great commandment that says love your neighbor as yourself, we are to connect with others. Connect with others. Some of y'all are writing that down, good for you. And once we do that, the great commission also says to go reach the world for Christ, so we're here to reach our world. Let's just freeze that right there. Here, Here is what we've been called to do at Coastal Oaks, to lead people to love God, to connect with others, and to reach our world. That's what we're here for. That's what God's called us to do. Our leadership team came up with that mission statement several years ago, and I I think it's just one of the most concise, best statements of expressing the great commandment and the great commission, to love God, to love others, and to reach our world. That's what we're here to do. Now, we've taken that that mission statement, and we've said this for years, our, our purpose, which is to lead people to love God, connect with others, and reach our world, our purpose is also our process. We're going to be very intentional about this as we go through our disciple-making process at Coastal Oaks. So we've broken down the challenge into these three areas that fall right underneath that of loving God, loving others, and reaching our world. So let's look at this next graphic. This is our process. This is our disciple-making challenge that we have here at Coastal Oaks, our strategy. The first one was what? Love God, right? Love God. What we're going to challenge our people to do is to trust Christ as personal Lord and Savior. For every person who comes through these walls to make that commitment, to know what it means to be assured of that, to have some lessons that we will teach on that, to know for sure that you have a home in heaven. The third thing, if it comes up there, 
Did it stall? There we go. We want to lead people to have an experience of baptism by immersion where they publicly testify of their relationship with Christ. We want to challenge everybody to have a time of daily Bible reading and prayer and then also to attend worship regularly. Let's just stop that right there. It's very simple if you think about it. What's what's the number one decision any person needs to make for eternity to trust Christ as Savior? So as we come alongside those folks, we want to lead them into that commitment. I tell you what, it doesn't matter. We're going we're to fill this screen up with other stuff in just a minute. It doesn't even matter that you go below the first line there. If you haven't trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you haven't done what you need to do. It doesn't matter what else I say today. That's a good place not to amen, okay? It doesn't matter what else I have to say today. If you have not trusted Christ as your personal Savior, that is the decision you need to make. You need to recognize that you you are dead in your sins. Without Christ, you're dead in your sins. That you need a Savior who paid the price for your eternity, who paid the price for your sin, took your sins on the cross so that you could be forgiven. And the decision you need to make is to receive him as Lord and Savior. Not just Savior, but Lord. That means for you to make him the boss of your life, you need to make that decision. But once you've done that, we want to lead you through a process of understanding what assurance is. Those lessons on assurance that that we will be teaching, that we're going to ask everybody to go through this process. Assurance of salvation, to know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven. Assurance of answered prayer. Assurance of victory over temptation. Assurance of forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then we're going to talk about assurance of guidance, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, to trust in the Lord with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct our paths. We're going to look at those seven lessons of assurance, I'm sorry, five lessons of assurance, and I'm going to be teaching those to this congregation. Once we get through this whole process, and I've, I've taught all these three arrows, then we're going to have periodic times where any new person who comes here goes through these five lessons on assurance so that they will know that they know. And again, we're asking people who know Christ as Savior to follow the Lord in believer's baptism by immersion and to make a commitment to read their Bible and pray and to be a part of a a regular worship service. That's the basics. Let's look at the second step. What was our second one? It was based on love others. What was it? Connect with others based on the great commandment again. We're going to ask everybody to connect with a grace group or a Sunday school class, a, a Sunday morning connection class. I slipped up and went back a few years, didn't I? Also, to complete lessons on connecting and to make a commitment to church membership. Let's just stop right there. What we're going to ask you to do, every person who comes to worship here, to find a place where you can connect on either Sunday morning or on a weeknight or some during the day for a grace group. And some have done both. But to find a place where you come together with other believers on a regular basis and encourage one another and support one another. I think last week we had around 120 in our grace group ministry, and we have around 350 attending, so we want that to increase. We want everybody to have an opportunity to connect. You know, I've been a pastor for, goodness, a long time, 20-something years, 27 years, 27, thanks, babe. Um, And I've found that when people come to church and just sit and they don't get connected with a small group, it's very easy for them to get lost, to get lost in the shuffle, to disappear. There, there have been people who've come in my ministry over all these years in three churches, and I sort of got to know them, but I really didn't because they never connected with a small group. That is so, so important. We want everybody to do that. The lessons on connecting, we're going to walk through, and I've got these seven chapters. I knew I had seven somewhere. 
Let me just, just give you a highlight of those seven chapters, the lessons on connecting. Again, I'm going to be teaching those to this congregation after we do the lessons on assurance. We're going to talk about motivation. What's our motivation? We looked at it in a little bit today, the great commandment and the great commission. We'll talk about expectations. What are expectations of church members? We're going to ask people to make a commitment to membership, to be generous, to, to be for unity, to avoid gossip and negative talk, to be people who forgive one another, We're going to challenge people to make church not about your preferences and your desires. Boy, there's a new one. How many of us come to church and it's all about us? How many of us come to church and it's all about what we can get out of it? We're going to challenge our people. It's not about our desires and our our preferences. We're going to challenge people to treasure church membership as a gift. As a gift. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Christianity means community. I like that. To be a follower of Christ means you're going to be connected to a body of Christ. So essential. We'll talk about that. We'll look at the organization of the church, the the roles of the pastor and the ministry leadership team and the staff and the deacons and and how the congregation comes together. We'll look at our affiliations with our national convention, our state convention, and how we're doing the Acts 1-8 challenge, which is to reach our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Rockport Fulton is our Jerusalem. Our Judea, we're just saying, is the state of Texas. Our Samaria is the United States, because if you look geographically, that's kind of the way that that Acts 1-8 goes, and then the ends of the earth is our international mission effort. We're going to talk about how you can be involved in all of those three areas. We'll talk about association, how important it is for you to associate with the body of Christ, that believer's baptism isn't just identifying with Christ, but it's identifying with the community of believers. Talk about connections there. I've already mentioned the importance of small groups. We have men's groups, women's groups, grace groups, connection classes. It's so important to be connected. See, membership, at the bottom right there, church membership, that's where we want everyone to stop and pause and reflect and think and pray. Am I willing to make that commitment to membership? I think it was Rick Warren that said, uh, you make a commitment to Christ to become a Christian, you make a commitment to a church family to become a church member. It's all about committing to that body of believers. Commitment. I love the story of Cortez, the explorer. When he arrived in, in South America, I think it was South America or Central America, they had this challenge ahead of them, and, and he chose and ordered for the 11 ships in his fleet to be burned. So you're a sailor, you've signed up for this exploration, and you're kind of thinking, you know, I don't know how long this trip's going to be, but when it's all over, I sure I'm looking forward to getting on the boat and going back home. You ever take a trip like that and is glad you are to be on the trip? You can hardly wait to get back on the plane and go back home. Well, they watched their ships burn and sink. You know what Cortez was saying to them? No turning back. Guys, we, we have only one way to go. We're not going back. We're not going back to the old world. We're going ahead. That, that's the kind of commitment. What would happen if to be a member of Coastal Oaks Church meant you were that committed to this body and to the Lordship of Christ? So we're going to challenge everyone at the end of that second phase, that second step to make that commitment to membership. By the way, we've looked at so many different ways to to communicate this vision, and we've looked at stair-stepping, we've looked at pathways, we've looked at trails, we've looked at markers, we looked at everything, and I just finally came back to what I thought would be most helpful is to put three arrows together because those arrows are moving. They show movement. You don't want to get stuck on the first one. I'm just showing up. 
Maybe I've committed my life to Christ and I'm just going to show up as a believer. We don't want you to get stuck in the second one. We want people to move on to the third one, which is in our mission statement. What is it? Love God, connect with others, and what? Reach our world. Let's look at that. Number three. We want you to complete lessons on reaching, and I'll explain that to you in a moment. We're going to ask everybody to commit to serve in a ministry of some kind, of some place here in the context of our church or in our community. Let's stop there. And then lastly, complete the design for discipleship lessons. Now, I want you to know that it builds. The level of commitment builds. Once you've given your life to Christ, which is the decision, the level of commitment in your followership, in your discipling, your discipleship, is going to increase as you go through this this uh, three-phase process. In lessons on reaching, I've just broken it down into three areas. Many of you have been through these studies with us. We're gonna talk about detecting your personhood to, to figure out how God wired you. Did you know we're all different? We're all very different. And it's okay, we need to celebrate that. We're gonna go through and look at some characters in the Bible and look at their temperaments. We'll look at Abraham. I believe Abraham would be a perfect example of a golden retriever. That golden retriever temperament says, let's don't get involved, let's do it the easy way. Any golden retrievers here? Just easy going, flexible? Come on. Yeah, okay, there's, really? No. An otter just put up her hand. We'll talk about that in a minute. We're gonna look at Moses, an example as we go through there, and I believe he's an example of a beaver mentality that, that, that says if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. Any beavers here? And they, they don't mind raising their hand. That's doing it the right way. Then the lion, the apostle Paul demonstrates or models that. And basically the lion says, it's going to be my way now. Any lions here? Okay, yeah. I love you, lions. And then the otter. Peter is a perfect example of the otter temperament. Peter was the one who just spoke before he thought. Anybody like that? Just talking, just you listen to their thoughts. The, 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 the otter's mentality is let's have fun. So we're, we're going to look at those. And I, I've jokingly said over the years that it would be great if everybody had my temperament. That was another beaver temperament that said amen. And I just think how everything would be great if everything just lined up the way I want it to. But God didn't intend it to be that way. He, he intended for me to be who I am. By the way, I'm a beaver golden retriever. I'm a, I'm a mix. I'm a hybrid. That's okay. Let me tell you what, you just be thankful that I have some golden retriever mentality and temperament. Because us, if a person's 100% beaver, nobody likes them. I mean, I'm just saying. It's good to have some hybrids here. But here's what God says. God says, Kevin, it's okay for you to be that beaver, golden retriever temperament. And it's okay for your wife to be an otter lion. It's okay. That's a good thing. It makes our marriage interesting. It really does. God has a sense of humor. By the way, that's the way he puts the body together. Did you know that? Now, Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about gifts, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And God does put us together with different gifts, but he puts different temperaments together. Because if we were all one, it would be, if everybody were like me, it would be a boring place. Let's just say that, all right? We'll talk about discovering a place of ministry and teaching people how to discover their ministry gifts. Do you know everybody has a gift? Everyone. We'll walk through those, and I'll teach those, and we'll try to show how those gifts manifest themselves in the body of Christ. My favorite illustration of giftedness is 
If you just can imagine this picture of while I'm preaching, you hear this loud crash out front and some of you guys get up and run out and come back and say, there's been a wreck and a, a truck has run off the road and they've run into our church sign. Probably needs to be run into, <laughs> uh, get a new one. But, then, so, but the persons, they've injured themselves and so we start running out there and, and the people with the gift of mercy run to that person. The guys hit his head on the steering wheel of the dashboard and, and the airbags like that. The per- they just hold the guy's hand and say, it's going to be all right. That's a person with a gift of mercy. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Well, a person with a gift of administration could care less about that person. You know what they're doing? They're organizing everybody. You guys stay over there. People stand over here. Somebody go get that. Somebody get this. Somebody call 911. And they're organizing. That's the gift of administration. Then you have a person who comes out there with the gift of teaching. And he just looks and says, well, there's some spiritual principles here. It's a great illustration of what happens when. So the person with the gift of teaching is processing all that stuff. Then you have a person with the gift of prophecy, the prophet. You know what the prophet does? He walks up to that person and says, brother, there's sin in your life. That's why you wrecked. That's why you crashed into the sign. God's trying to get your attention. Then you have the folks who have the gift of helps or service. You know what they're doing? They're making coffee for everybody because they know there's going to be a big crowd there and they want everybody to be taken care of. Then you have the person with the gift of giving, and they show up and they pull out their checkbook, say, how much is this going to cost? I want to pay for it all. Now, that's an, that's an explanation, an example of how giftedness plays out in any scenario in the life of the church. We're going to talk about that in Lessons on Reaching. And then we'll discover a place of missions, where a plan for missions where you can be involved. We've already talked about the Acts 1-8. Jim and Judy Redmond are mission team leaders. The McElvins are helping them now. And they're developing a strategy where you can be involved in missions locally, in our state, in our nation, and around the world. There's all kinds of opportunities that we have planned. We'll talk about that in Lessons on Reaching. And then the very last, I say the very, the, the, I think the most challenging, but I think the best for last. For you to make a commitment, once you've made a commitment to Christ as Savior, you've gone through the lessons on assurance, you've followed the Lord and believers' baptism by immersion, you've connected with a small group, you've gone through the lessons on connecting and you understand all that, you've made a commitment to church membership, you've gone through the lessons on reaching and you understand your giftedness and your temperament and your passion and how that works, then we're going to ask you to commit to completing this Design for Discipleship study. It is seven books. 36 studies, which is basically 36 weeks. Your life in Christ, how to be a spirit-filled follower of Christ, walking with Christ, the character of a Christ follower, foundations for faith, growing in discipleship, our hope in Christ. 36 weeks, we're going to ask people to commit to that. Now, you'd say, Pastor, not me. Well, this is, this is letting you know what's coming, okay? And I understand not everybody's going to commit to that. I, I'm not... I'm not uh, It would be great, but I understand where everybody is. Not everybody's going to commit to that, but we're going to ask those who would count the cost to do that. Remember we said Jesus' pattern for disciple-making was come and see, then come and follow me, then come and be with me, and and then remain in me? This is the come and see part right here. This is we're just laying it out there for you to see, for you to understand what all is going to be involved in this process of moving from, first of all, that initial commitment to loving Christ, knowing him, worshiping him, to making a commitment to membership, to making a commitment to this body in ministry and in missions. That's where we're going. That's the disciples' journey. Let me tell you how we got here. Not quite a year ago, God began to convict me as a pastor about this congregation and my ministry. I'll tell you what, you get to be 50 seven years old and you start thinking about that stuff 
Now, that's not old for some of you, but that's old for me. I get to thinking about being at one church for 19 years and what has happened here. And a lot of great things have happened. A lot of people, last week we, we rehearsed that. We went through that and saw people stand up who've been led to faith in Christ. And I'm excited about that. But I got to thinking, is that all? See, I, I know the Bible is very clear that I'm going to stand before Christ one day. The Bible says that those who are teachers, there's a greater greater judgment for them. The Bible says that we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for what we've done in the body in this life. Paul said there's one foundation and that's Christ and and that's been laid and we build on it. Be careful how you build. So I I really don't believe I'm going to stand before Jesus and he's going to say, Kevin, tell me about your buildings. I could talk about that. God's done some neat stuff here through us. Pastor Kevin, tell us about your attendance numbers. Tell us about all the neat programs you had at Coastal Oaks. Kevin, tell us about all the celebrations. Tell us about your numbers. Tell us about all the people who left there feeling good. I don't think the Lord's going to ask me any of that. I believe he's just going to say, did you make disciples? And I'm, I don't want to say, well, a few. Kevin, were you intentional about it? Well, sort of. I don't want to go there. I want to stand before the Lord and say, to the best of my ability, we tried as a congregation to be a disciple-making church. That's why we're here. So uh, I'm glad you all are along for the ride, because it's going to be good. Let's pray together.